Well, hello everyone, and I want to say hello to all those at the Brentwood campus as well. And as um, I have just finished up my summer vacation, this is the first time I'm back um, speaking. And I just want to say as an aside that uh, I'm really happy to see all the different voices that we've had speak over this summer. Um, I want to say thank you to uh, Daryl and Seth and Jen and Carolyn and Brent uh, and to Luke. Um, I believe I covered them all. Oh, and Dean, and Dean, Dean Hennessy as well. Um, so we had a lot of great people in our church family speaking to us. And uh, again, I, I, I'm very thankful for the rest. And I'm also kind of now a little intimidated because people have been coming up saying, you know, you should let them speak more, Dave. You know, you better be careful of your job. And I'm thinking, holy cow, okay, I got to be careful here how I, how I share all this. But um, I'm really am glad um, to be able to be back. So um, today I want to speak about marriage. And uh, a couple reasons really for this, um, because marriage is one of those themes that I bring up every once in a while to preach about, and I just think it's, it's good to speak about. But I really thought, why not, coming back on my first weekend back where I'm preaching, um, why not speak about marriage? And, and first of all, it's really because this is the year, this is the time of the year in which we do celebrate marriage a lot. Um, actually today, uh, Jack and Muriel Ailes, Jack, uh, used to be on our board and Jack and Muriel have been part of our church family for many years. They celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary today. And in fact, it's, it lines right up to the day. They were married in 1963, August 17th. Here it is 50 years later and Jack's still smiling. Um, and Muriel too. And, um, I, I think about that and I say, wow, you know, a 50th wedding anniversary. And, and we all obviously have other people who have been married for that period of time or are closing in on that. And then I also think to myself, you know, this is also the season in which there are the young people or, or other people, depending on what stage of life they're in, but a lot of young people are right now getting married um, or, they're, or planning to get married. Uh, I think of uh, the news of Jenica Bubar, uh, the Bubar family has been part of our church family for many years. Jenica is getting married. Uh, I think it's next month. And uh, I also know that Leanne Pike, remember Leanne who used to lead worship here while she attended Crandall? Well, I, I guess I heard through face, the Facebook news that she's planning to get married. So, I mean, it's just like, it's like, it's like measles. It's just spreading, Right. <laughs> Um, but it, because it's all part of life. It's one of those major chapters uh, of life. Um, and, and I also think about all the marriages that are even represented uh, here in the room right now as I'm speaking. And I think about uh, those at the Brentwood campus, that we have a whole range of people in marriages at different stages. Young, brand new marriages, maybe just married for a couple of years. Uh, people have been married for 10 years, 15, 25, you know, and obviously right up 50 and past. And then I also got to think of why I want to speak about marriage is because actually this coming Tuesday, I'm celebrating my uh, wedding anniversary. I've been married to my wonderful wife who was leading the worship here on the Saturday evening uh, service for 30 years. 30 years. That's right. 30 years. Yes. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, and, and I'm still smiling and Nancy, I'm sure, is smiling too. Uh, you can ask her about that. Um, so I thought, what a great time to talk about marriage. And um, 
I really believe, though, we're in a culture now in which we really need to think well about marriage. And I'm actually kind of excited that there's a lot of uh, young people here, here tonight because a lot of you um, are going to be, uh, you know, coming over that hill uh, within the next few years to marriage. So if no one else listens, I really want you to listen. But, but I hope everyone else listens too, so you, you know, because it applies to us all here. Um, See, when I look at your friends, and I want to say this to all the young people here, a lot of your friends are now being influenced by a whole bunch of other forces now, which is really changing their view to marriage. Um, fewer and fewer people now are getting married. A lot of people are choosing to cohabitate, live common law. Um, certainly that's outside of what the Bible teaches, but a lot of people are doing that. A lot of your friends are going to say, that's the way to go. Um, I, I, I also think a lot of people are getting very cynical about marriage. I mean, with the rising number of divorces that are taking place in our society, what happens to the next generation, and I've seen this right in my own family, is that they go, I don't think I'm going to go through that. Why go through that? And so they start to redefine what marriage is all about and, and how to live a married life. Um, I, and I really believe, unfortunately, that a lot of people in our culture today have a very small vision of what marriage is meant to be. And yet, when I look at my Bible, I realize that the Bible, in fact, gives us a very grand vision. You know, I was reminded of this. I was watching a talk by Timothy Keller. Uh, Keller is a Presbyterian pastor in New York City. He's an author. He's written many books. We've referred to some of his books over the last few years. Um, but he wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Meaning of Marriage. And uh, I was watching him present a talk on this. And uh, this is the book right here. And you can order it by, at Amazon. It's, uh, you can get a digital copy if you'd like. I really encourage you, if you don't have a fresh recent book on marriage, this is an excellent one to purchase. Now, as Keller, I heard him talking about this, um, he really gives a great understanding of what marriage is to be all about based on a Christian worldview. Um, and what I want to do tonight, or I should say um, in this weekend series as I speak, is I want to really take a moment and, and uh, reflecting on Scripture and also uh, utilizing some of what Keller has said in, in this book, um, I want to sort of take the, and put that all together and say... What does it take for us to build a great vision for a Christian marriage? Because I think you've got to have a vision, a focus of what you want out of a Christian marriage in order to, to build that well. So I want us to look at three big ideas that builds a great vision for a Christian marriage. So, so well, let's just get right at it. Um, the first idea that I want us to consider for building a vision for a Christian marriage is covenant versus consumer. This is the first idea I want us to think about. I want us to think about covenant versus consumer. You know, in our culture today, a growing view we see being lived out more and more, and we see it in movies, and we see it in our songs, and we see it in novels, and let's be honest, we see it among our friends and our neighbors and our acquaintances. And it can basically be expressed this way when it comes to people talking about marriage. Now, listen carefully, and, and, and I really, I'm really going to be specific here. Uh, young people, 
When you get into a serious relationship, you're going to hear this statement possibly by the person that you're falling in love with. Now, listen carefully what this person might say to you. I love you. Let's live together. And why do we need that piece of paper? I mean, I love you so much. I feel so much passion for you. Besides, that's all really what marriage is about, right? It's just about, do we love each other? Do we feel that love? Is that passion there? I mean, who needs that piece of paper? That's old time. Maybe your parents go to the Journey Church and they're all hung up about being Christian. But look, don't get hung up. It's the 21st century. I love you. That's all that matters. Now, listen. That's what the world is telling us. So what does a legal contract, the world says, have to do with anything? That's just a waste of time. But I want right now to say the Christian view to the relationship between a man and woman says that that piece of paper matters. See, the Christian view is that the core or essence of marriage is a long-term binding commitment to one another embodied in a legal covenant. You see... The Christian view of marriage says, if the essence of your marriage is built on passions and feelings, what's the thing with passions and feelings? They come and they go. You feel great one week and the next month you don't feel so good. And then you're up again and you're down again and you're out again and you're in again and you're up and you're down. Whereas the Christian view of marriage says, no, no, no. It can't be passion and feeling that makes the very core of your marriage. Instead, it has to be a long-term binding commitment that is embodied in a legal document, in a legal covenant, a promise that's made publicly and legally that binds you together. See, the choice we have to make comes back to these two key words. Will I treat my marriage like a consumer or will I treat my marriage in a covenantal relationship. And let me give you an example. You see, when you step out into this world of ours in Greater Moncton or, you know, in Canada or this culture we call that we live in, most of the relationships that you have with all the things out there are consumer. You decide to say, you know what? I love working at, I love going to Future Shop. I'm going to shop at Future Shop. I love Future Shop because they give me great products and I spend my money there. But all of a sudden, next, this coming fall, Target opens. And Target has some nice new products. And you go to Target, and they have even better products for you to spend your money on. And they got even better prices. What do you say to Future Shop? Bye-bye, Future Shop. I get to spend better money, more money here at Target. I love Target now. I'm a Target person. And that's how our economy spins around. And that applies in so many different ways. That, that our relationship is this. When we are a consumer, we are saying this, and listen very carefully, my needs are more important than the relationship. I mean, I may like that store vendor, but if that store vendor is charging me too much money, it's, he's not meeting my need, so guess what? I'm going to go to another store vendor. In a consumer relationship, my needs are more important than the relationship. But now let's go to a covenant relationship. What's an example of a covenant relationship? Well, let's go no further than, well, I see some of you sitting here. There's, there's, there's a Mr. Link letter with some of his grand brood right around him. And, and, and here's the thing. When Jeff had his children, he entered into a covenant relationship with them. Where in a covenant relationship, it's totally flipped. The relationship is more important 
than Mr. Linkletter's needs. You see, what if Jeff goes, hey, I had all these kids. They're driving me crazy. They're eating me out of house and home. They're spending all my money. I'm not getting my needs met anymore. I want to break the relationship with them. You know what that's called? Child abandonment. And Mr. Linkletter would go to jail. Okay? I'll stop picking on Jeff now. But the point is this. It's that in a parent-child relationship, that, that there is this promise that the parent has made to that child to say, regardless if you perform or not, regardless if you meet my needs or not, I am committed to you and I am stuck to you and I can't leave you. Welcome to a covenant relationship. Now, stop and think about this in marriage for a second. How many people do you think treat their marriages like a consumer relationship? And how many people treat the relationship like a covenant relationship? You better ask yourself which way you're going. Um, you know, as we stop and, and think about how this applies to, to marriage, I, I want to say to those who are dating or even engaged... You know, you got, you got to remember that until you're married and you make that long-term binding promise, you're still really in a consumer relationship. Because as Timothy Keller says in his book, he says, um, you know, you're still marketing and promoting yourself because you know that as long as you're in that dating engaged mode, if that person's needs aren't being met, they can say, toodaloo, bye-bye. I'm going to go to Target now, Right? However, however, once you marry, the Christian point of view of marriage says this, you no longer have to worry about being in a consumer relationship because now you've moved from consumer to covenant. And what the Christian view of marriage says is, you know, can you imagine if I still thought I had to perform, I had to keep him or her happy all the time, I had to keep, you know, selling the goods every day in the marriage? I could never be unhappy. I could never say I'm having a problem because we all know that in a consumer relationship, the customer is always right. But when I'm in a covenant relationship where I've made that long-term promise, where I've signed the piece of paper before God and before my family and before society, I have said, I am lashed to you. Just the way Ulysses was lashed to the mast and was sailing through that really difficult part. I'm going to be, I'm going to hold on to you. No matter if the storms are and the winds are blowing, I'm going to be there. Now that is the Christian view. And, and the beauty of a long-term, here's the benefits of a long-term commitment and why the piece of paper matters. The long-term commitment gives both the man and the woman incredible security. Because now that we're bound together, you know what I can do? I can say, I'm not feeling very happy today. And I don't have to worry about that person running out the door because they said, well, I'm, I'm bound to you. We're in a covenant relationship. Let's work it out. Or I'm struggling right now. Or I'm afraid right now. Or I'm really, really depressed right now. Or I'm really, really discouraged right now. You don't have to worry. You've got this security to be vulnerable and finally open up. And you don't always have to be that happy, smiling Vendor trying to sell something. Oh, I'm having a great time. You can be real. Here's another beauty of the long-term binding commitment and why the piece of paper matters. 
It provides great stability. It provides great stability. Because now, actually, one, one deep thinker um, said this. It said, um, anything that is created out of time and will is far more interesting than anything that's created from fleeting emotion. Now, that's kind of a deep thought, but, but if you think about it for a second, it really means something here. Anything that's created out of time and will and commitment is far more interesting than something that's created from a fleeting emotion. A covenant marriage built on a binding commitment is far more interesting than a relationship that's built on up and down. I don't know. I may be. Yes, I love you. Maybe I don't. And also a covenant relationship, a binding commitment, that piece of paper also does something else to us. You know what it does? It gives us freedom. Now you've heard the joke about marriage, right? I saw it on a t-shirt. Marriage is not a word, it's a sentence. Marriage is not a word, it's a sentence. It's like, it's a, you know, jail sentence. Okay, so, sorry, it's a sad joke, okay? Brenda, we're both struggling here. But the point is, the point is, actually, the long-term binding commitment, listen carefully, actually is a way to freedom. Now you say, how's that possible? I'm bound? How could that be free about anything about freedom? Listen carefully. When you have the ability to make a promise to a long-term commitment, you are showing yourself that you are free, listen, from your own impulses, desires, up and down emotions, that you are saying, I'm not going to be um, driven just by my fleshly desires or by my up and down feelings. I am going to make a promise that is above and free from any of those things. Now that's, a, that's a, actually, so, so the greatest sort of freedom that you'll ever express is, um, is when you make a commitment um, or make a promise. Now, now, Keller actually makes a very important point here about this whole long-term binding commitment. He says, but what if he or she says that he or she loves me but doesn't want to marry me? And again, I want to say this to young people who are maybe face, going to face this in the next few years, and I guarantee you some of you will. Keller has a great response to that. Listen carefully. What he or she is probably saying, even though they say they love me, but they don't want to marry me, what they're really saying is that I don't love you enough to marry you. I don't love you enough to marry you. I don't love you enough to lose my independence. I don't love you enough to bind myself to you, to give you that security, that willingness to be vulnerable. Sorry, I don't love you that much. See, at the heart of God's relationship with us, please understand, when the Christian looks at this importance of covenant, it's based on our understanding how God relates to us. It's not based on our ability to meet his needs. It is not a consumer relationship. God offers us a covenant relationship, which is grounded in unconditional mercy, love, and grace. And that relationship is the basis for our understanding of a marriage relationship. Let's just go to the slide here where Paul is talking about marriage, but it's based on our understanding of how Christ relates to the church. And he says this, as scripture say, says, 
A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So he's saying that, that the marriage illustrates how Christ relates to the church, and, and how, the way Christ relates to the church is the way we're called to be married. So we've got to ask ourselves, what is this relationship between Christ and the church? Well, let's just do a little bit of what we call Bible study here, and let's go to a verse here found in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty five, where Jesus describes his relationship this way. This cup is the what? The new, what's the word? Covenant. Not a consumer relationship, it's the covenant. And this covenant is one of promise. And I'm not going to leave, says Jesus. And when he hung on the cross, he says, I'm not leaving. I know it's hard right now, but I'm not checking out. I'm here for you. I promise to be here. This is my covenant. And therefore, this is the, this is the, the, the vision we need to have for our marriage. It's based on covenant, not on a consumer relationship. Um, so I just want to do a quote here by, um, by Timothy Keller. He says, the essence of marriage is a long-term binding commitment embodied in a legal covenant. That's the very core, not feelings, not passion. It's a long-term binding commitment. And I know it's so counterintuitive because all the love songs you are hearing on the radio and all those radio stations say, oh, it's feelings. I got feelings. That's what makes me love you. And don't get me wrong. Feelings are really important, but that's not the core, the anchor. It's a commitment. Um, now, I, I, you can't talk about marriage without bringing up our sexuality. So let me just make a connection here between our sexuality and covenant just for a second. This is just a little by the way, a BTW, okay? Um, Keller says, sex is the covenant cement. That every time a man and woman who are in a covenant married relationship, when they express their sexuality to each other, it is a way of cementing that relationship once again. And that's why as much as a husband and wife should help one another, encourage one another, be kind to one another, they should also treat their sexuality as just an extension of renewing that covenant on a regular basis. You see, unfortunately, sex, when it's outside of marriage, you know what it's all about? It's about enticement and about performance and impressing the other person. Whereas sex inside a covenant marriage is more about giving to one another. Fundamental difference. Um, okay, so the piece of paper matters. So, so, if, so uh, girls, I just want us to be the young people here. Girls, young, young women, when a guy says, oh, the piece of paper doesn't matter, you say, Pastor Dave said the piece of paper matters. <laughs> and guys, piece of paper matters. If you love them enough, you're going to bind yourself, you're going to lash yourself to them, just the way Christ lashed himself to the church. Okay. Point number two, boy, this might just get a lot of hits on the YouTube, I have a feeling. Anyway, uh, character change through friendship. This is the second big idea for building a great vision for a Christian marriage. Character change through friendship. Now, have you ever heard this idea when people talk about, about a marriage? They go, you know, I want to marry my perfect soulmate. Now, I'll be honest, this is, a lot of guys talk like this, okay? Just let you girls know, this is what a lot of guys say. And, and here's the perfect soulmate for most guys, young guys. They won't change me. They'll accept me just as I am. They'll never try to improve me. They'll just take me as I am because I'm pretty good as I am. Um, now, Keller goes on to make a point here. He says, 
there's something terribly wrong with this sort of thinking, and I want to agree with them. Because here's the reality. Anyone who comes into a marriage discovers something very quickly. That other person has issues. Boy, they're really messed up. They, 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 got, they got some really irritating qualities about them. And, uh, you know, it, you, it might be honeymoon eyes for a while, but I tell you, anyone's been married for a while, <laughs> I mean, just talk to Nancy after 30 years. We'll just leave it at that, right? I mean, everybody brings brokenness into the marriage. I mean, let me just go through some qualities that everybody might have when they come into a marriage. One person may bring fearfulness so that they're afraid to make any changes. Isn't good when the couple wants to make a move and leave Moncton and head out to somewhere else, but they're so fearful, it creates a lot of stress. Or someone else may bring in pride and it means they can never be wrong. Unfortunately, they are. Other people are inflexible and therefore they can never make changes. They said, this is the way my family did it. This is the way we're going to do it now. And it brings stress. Other people bring on reliability. Other people are critical. Other people are impatient. Other people are cowardly. I mean, bottom line, all of us bring our flaws into our marriage. And we are all at a profound level, truly incompatible. We always try and say, I gotta find my perfect soulmate. But the truth is we're all with our flaws we don't all fit, we'll never fit. You know, it's been said that marriage will bring the worst out in you. You know, marriage has been described like, like it, marriage is like a big truck going across an old rickety bridge where the bridge has already some cracks and fractures in it, but the heavy truck kind of, you know, as it rolls over that little rickety bridge, all of a sudden the bridge starts to show where all the cracks and fissures are. Well, guess what? When, you're, when you get married to your spouse and you think, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm, I've been pretty put together here. When, when that spouse truck rolls over your little rickety bridge, all your cracks and stress fractures and fissures in your life, your character flaws will all be revealed. You know, the Bible speaks very plainly about the reality of our brokenness. I mean, the Bible's very honest about this. It says in Romans 3.10, let's, let's, let's look at it. It says... Um, Let's go to this verse here, Romans 3.10. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, no, not even one. Um, and, and again, what, what we understand here is what makes us ultimately unrighteous is, before God is that we're self-centered. They, actually, some theologians say that's the essence of sin. It's our self-centeredness. We really believe we are the center of our little universe. And I just want to say, and, and, and um, if you want to go ahead to that slide, I think you have to jump ahead one. I just want to remind you that the worst cancer to any of our marriages is self-centeredness. Can you find that slide? Can you bring that up? Yeah. Cancer to your marriage is self-centeredness. Um, so here's an implication about our flaws. Please, when you get married, or even as you're married now, Please don't be surprised by the brokenness of the other person. The Bible says we're broken. Life shows us that we're all broken. Let's not be surprised by it. But here's the other part of that. How do we deal with our flaws and our brokenness as we live out our covenant relationship with one another? Well, I believe it's Paul in writing to the church in Philippi. 
as he speaks to the Christians at this church, actually could be speaking to married couples. Listen to what he says. Imagine him talking to a couple and simply saying this. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And here's the kicker. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And again, you go, well, what did the attitude did Jesus have? He went to the cross for us. He gave us all. That's our, that's our shaping point to our marriage. So, so let me ask you this. What's the best way to learn patience? I would suggest the best way to learn patience is put yourself in a situation where your patience is tested. What's the best way to learn kindness? Put yourself in a situation where your kindness is tested, right? What's the best way to learn to control your anger? Put yourself in a situation where you could get angry. Now, let me tell you the best place to, to do all those tests. Marriage, okay? Marriage, that's where you're gonna find it. You see, marriage is one of the best places to learn to deal with our flaws. You see, it's, it's not that we have to pretend we have it all together. We have to realize that actually marriage, the, 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 the goal of marriage is actually that it's the place where we can have our character changed and deepened and in fact, have the attitude of Christ himself. Remember, this is the Christian view of marriage. Now, learning the way of Jesus is a lifetime journey. I like what Keller says about not looking at a person. When you're dating a person, don't look at them as a finished product. Don't look at them as a finished statue. Instead, look at them as a block of marble that's going to be shaped into a beautiful statue. Don't look at them as simply as they are. Look at them as what they're going to become. Oh, I I, got to tell you just a really quick quick story here. Um, Speaking of like, Look at what they, not as what they are, but what they're going to become. Because if you can see glimpses of what they're going to become, that should give you hope that, hey, they're going to start dealing with their flaws. And there's hope for them. And, and, and God's going to use me to help shape them and, and buff their corners. But guess what? They're, God's going to use that person to buff you too. Remember, it's mutual buffing, Okay. But I, I was actually watching, didn't even watch the, um, okay, I, 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 was, I was being a little carnal, I was watching Fear Factor, okay, and I was watching, you know, those gross, they eat, they eat gross stuff and do gross things and worms and everything. But they had this one couple, and, and the episode was where they had to drive a car into a pool, the car would go under the water, um, they had to unscrew this little box in the center of the car, grab two flags, swim out of the pool, and hook the flags onto a pole, and there'd be time for that. So this one couple, they were saying, are you ready to do it? And he goes, I'm he says, just call me Mr. Showstopper. He says, I'm, I'm a fish. I can swim. I'm really good. He, I got to admit, he was really quite obnoxious and cocky would be really the word for it. So he, he was really going on and on. And, and Joe Rogan, who's the host, you know, is going, are you sure you can do this? You got no fear of water? Ah, oh, no. He says, I got it. He says, and, and my girlfriend here, she's, she's ready to go. And she didn't look as eager, but she goes, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go. So they get in the car, they go, they crash through the wall, they're into the pool, the, water, the car sinks down below, they've got cameras underneath, they're screwing it off, they get the flags, up they come, up they come. And you could tell that moment she was in trouble because she comes up, she's, she's gulping for air and, and, and she grabs his shoulders and she's trying to hold on just to stay above air. 
Guess what he does? Actually, gave her a quite physical push. Oh! And I thought, oh, oh, oh. And all the other couples are watching, right? And they go, did he just do that? And, and then I thought, oh, well, he just needs to swim away for a second to just get his breath. He just kept swimming. And she goes, Ben, Ben. And she sinks down once. And I'm going, oh, he's going to swim back now. He didn't swim back. And she goes, and she went down again. And actually, they had the, 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 the stunned people that were around watching had to actually save her. And they pulled her out of the water. And she goes, what was that? And he goes, honey, I, I'm still Mr. Showstopper, right? She goes, the show has stopped right now. And of course, then they cut away to a commercial and you think, oh, this is terrible, right? So at that moment, he showed his flaw, right? He came back and then they were talking to him and he says, you know, I was really proud. And I guess I learned a lesson. He says, I acted very poorly. And he says, actually, the one who was really brave here was my girlfriend who... She had never been underwater before and she was willing to give it a try. And he says, I'm feeling very humble right now and very foolish. Now that, you know what was amazing was this. In one moment, she got to see his flaws. But for another moment, guess what she got to see? A glimpse of what he could become. Cocky today, hopefully a humble guy in the future. Right? Um, Anyway, sorry for that. No, 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 I'm not sorry for that. This is a great story. Um, here, 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 let, let me just move on really quickly then. So um, um, now, now, I just want to remember, remind you here though, if marriage is about bringing about deep character change, the best person to do it with is a, is a great friend, okay? Because think about this. Who do you want to go on a journey with where you know your character is going to get changed? Do you want an enemy to be with you? No, you want a, your best friend, someone who will um, accept you, but lovingly challenge you, who will show you patience, who will rejoice in the small steps you take and be patient when you falter. So when you're looking for a spouse, let me say this, look for someone who can be your best friend. Don't let outward beauty be the final determiner. Yeah, is it an influencer? Yes, but at the end of the day, look for the inward beauty of saying, this person could be my best friend. Because I, that person, as friends, we are going to be changing our character together. Oh, and oh, by the way, again, sorry to bring up the, the sexual dynamic of our marriage, but here again, Keller says very clearly, great sexual chemistry comes out of friendship, not the other way around. We think, oh, out of great friendship comes great sexual chemistry, but it's the other way around. Great sexual chemistry comes out of friendship. Um, you know, marriage offers, if we're willing to take it up, to be involved in becoming like Christ, and our marriage offers us that opportunity for change, to become everything God wants us to be. And so that brings us to Keller's quote, the mission of marriage, let's just go to Keller's quote, the mission of marriage is deep character change through deep friendship. So, so the first one, right, is that the, the essence of marriage is that it's a long-term binding commitment embodied in a legal covenant, and the mission of marriage is, is deep change through deep friendship. Well, let me just fi finalize the third point. Um, the first two were really big, but this one, it's important, but it won't take as long to tell you as this. Don't be fair in your love. This is the other thing that will build a great uh, Christian marriage for you. 
Don't be fair with your love. Now, I want you to think for a moment what so sadly happens often as a marriage moves through the other stages of life. Um, they get married and then they start having children and listen to what happens. Um, when you become a parent, and all of us who are parents can reckon, uh, uh, identify with this, when you become a parent, you have to learn to love unfairly. Now listen to what I mean by this. If you only love when your child loves you back, there won't be a lot of love coming a lot of times, right? You've got to love them when they're whiny. You've got to love them when they don't appreciate you. You've got to love them when they don't say thank you. You just, and you know what? And we do it, don't we? We just keep loving them. And then maybe when we're 85, they go, you know, thanks, mom and dad. And you go, well, there, it was worth it. Okay, but we, we just love and love, we love unfairly, right? And, and here's the neat thing though, here's the mystery about love, is that we learn to really love unconditionally like God. Now, now, now here's the thing though, but what happens in a lot of marriages at the same time? Here's what happens. Um, my spouse didn't speak to me today. Well, I'm not gonna speak to them. And then the next year, well, they forgot my anniversary. They forgot the, our anniversary. I can't believe that. Well, I'm not, they want, he, he wants to go out bowling tonight. I'm not going bowling. And now it starts becoming tit for tat, back and forth, and all this starts to happen. So what happens is, is that after 20, 25 years of moving through marriage and family, we still love our kids because we've learned to love unconditionally. But because we've been saying, I'm only going to love when that person loves me back, well, guess what happens? We get to the 20-year mark, the 25-year mark, and the kids have grown up and gone, who we still love, and our marriage is gone too because we never learned. We thought we had to only love fairly. I'll love you when you love me. But listen, here's, here's the thing about, about loving is that the secret of marriage, according to Tim Keller, is to be able to love your spouse during seasons when you're getting very little love back. Now, let me just finalize by saying, how can we love unfairly or love extravagantly? It has to come from someplace outside of your marriage. See, the Christian vision of marriage says that if the only place of love you give is found in your marriage, then you are asking something from your partner, your spouse, your husband, your wife, that they're not able to do. They can't love all the time. They simply can't. They're human. And you're asking them to do something that's almost divine. You see, the only place you're going to get that, that rich resource of love from the Christian point of view is from God himself, found in Christ. How do we know that God loves us? Well, Christ gave himself for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is the love that we need to take and then put within our marriage. And we can almost, as Keller says, be a philanthropist with love. You know, philanthropists, they just go around and give money away here and there. Well, you know what? When you are deep in God's love, you can then show and say, you know what? I can give love to my partner anytime I want because you're drawing from the love of God and showing it to your partner. So when they disappoint you, you go, God, give me the love to love my partner still. When they hurt you in a way that you thought I, you've let me down, you can show that grace and forgiveness and that love because you're always drawing it from God. In fact, here, let's just go um, to that verse in 1 John 4.19 on the slide. It says, we love each other 
because he first loved us. We love each other because he loved us first. You know, you know what that means then? The greatest source of love that a man and woman can give to each other in a long-term binding commitment of marriage is when they both know God's love. Because when you both know God's love, you give that love to each other and your marriage grows deeper and richer. Well, we're to the end of the message. Let's pray for our marriages and for the marriages to come. Lord, Help us to love in our marriages the way Christ loved the church. He gave his life for the church. Help us to give our lives to each other. Help us to see that in our marriages, it's not passions and feelings that's our foundation. It's um, that long-term loving commitment that you have shown to us. Lord, let us show that to one another. And Lord, may we see that in our marriages, it's the place where we can grow and become more like Christ and where we can learn what it means to have a deep character, one that's full of gentleness and kindness and goodness and mercy. And Lord, also help us to see that only as we know your love can we truly give that love to one another. Lord, I pray for all the marriages. Lord, I pray for people who are looking to be married. Lord, I pray for all of us, that we have that type of vision as you lead us in that journey. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.